Okay. Good evening. How are you all? How is that week of working on Sonobai? <laughs> well, everyone looks a lot happier than they did last week. I was actually like a picture of the socks one day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. You do? No, I was thinking that. Oh, okay. 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 Oh, Okay, so we have to discuss the last week we posited the socks on the floor issue. Okay, <laughs> it's okay so I want, you, I, want you, I want you to explore it in a little bit more depth. Let's just uh, summarize what we spoke about last week and then take it from there. We spoke about that there's, there's really three stages to, to the way that a relationship is formed, as described in Boratius. That starts off where man is created male and female, separated and put back, back together again. But this time, the way the a new a new a new chiddush in, in the way it works, if man or female were created together, so they'd be together would be imperative. They would have no choice. Saying the same as we did last time, but just a slight addition. When you choose to have something, as opposed to when it's thrust upon you, it's much deeper because it's coming from a deeper place inside. So the relationship between man and woman when they actually choose to be connected is a deeper than if they would be connected automatically. That's what we said. So we said there's really three stages. The first stage is that they're separated in order to connect on a much deeper level and that that connection creates a single organism. That was the second point. And that that single organism has to have a goal in a direction. If you have two people, if you have two, two limbs and the hand, this hand wants to go in one direction, the other hand wants to go in a different direction, so it's very difficult to do anything. But if you're focused, and the more focused you are, the better it is, the more it works out, and the better off you are in marriage. Good? Yes? So you all went back to your husband and you discussed and you decided exactly where your goal orientation is to the, to the, to the detail, and I'm glad that was sorted out. Um, the goal is, yeah, them to get away the entire time you're going through the whole summer. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying, you have to have high aspirations. <laughs> okay, so, so that's, that's the format. Now, what we're going to go on to is the sock issue. The sock issue is... Socks, shirts on the floor. There are a few other Shoshana suggested to me. She said, um, I, I suggested some too. I said, not phoning when you're late. No, yeah. did that get it? Yeah. Not phoning at all. <laughs> um, not noticing new clothes. No. Yes, is that a good one? Uh, no, we don't want them to know, just the new clothes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is the credit card issue. Two options. Either it's, it's, you have to notice the new clothes and not notice the credit card, or alternatively. Yeah, it's not working, just let look. I got you. Yeah. Appreciate that. So, so there's, 
So let's go. Let's. Daily. Daily. Yeah. Do we say hourly? Do we say hourly? Well, daily, I think, is already a big one. Good start. Good start. Okay, so you've got this. Basically, as follows. Let's start off with the issue of differences. And this week, I want to discuss something which I think is is crucial to the dynamic of the relationship. If you had two roommates of the same gender get together and having to live in the same room for an extended period of time, it's a little bit tough. Because any two people have grown up in different houses. And any two houses, by the very nature... See, how come when the baby comes up and everyone smiles and... <laughs> Okay, good. So I want you to all <laughs> I want you to all focus on the baby. Adina, do you want to say the share? No. So, so when you, when you have two people together, regardless of with specifically if you're the same gender and you're coming from two different houses, it's hard because any two families have got have got their own family culture and their own family values and the, the way they do things. So if you put two people together who haven't had that same type of experience, it's, it's a struggle because you, get, you, got, you work in different ways. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is actually a crucial thing. Taking out for the moment the gender difference, the very fact that we've grown up with different models, um, I don't mean to speak from personal experience, but I just speak as a random couple. Say, for example, there would be two, two families and in the one family, the way you'd express Gratitude is you'd say to the person, wow, that was amazing, thank you very much. And in the other family, the way you express, express gratitude is you'd give them something, give them a present. So now, those two people get married. So that's just a family culture thing, it's got nothing to do with gender. So what happens is, one of the couple does something for the other, so the husband, let's say, says, wow, that's amazing, thank you very much. And the wife, let's say, says, well, he obviously doesn't mean it because he'd give me something. <laughs> and then... And then what happens is, then the husband does something for the wife, and she doesn't say anything, but she does give him something, but she doesn't say anything. Says, well, she's obviously not thankful. So in other words, when you, when you have that, it's, just, it's a different system. Now, if you don't identify those models, what happens is, you land up creating tension, which is purely based on the fact that you have different upbringings. But it's not objective. And often it's very hard to see that you've got a different model. Because what you see is, you don't, I don't see myself as a model, I see myself as right. Correct? Amazing, eh? She's working on some advice. She, uh, in the, on the car, she made a vow not to say things. <laughs> She's doing so well so far. Um, so, so, so when you've you got your model, so you just think you're right. You don't think it's an issue of this is where I was brought up and this is a particular characteristic of my family. Rather, you think this is the way things are done. Are you relating to that? Yes? So therefore, it's very hard because you don't, you don't. It becomes an issue of right and wrong, not an issue of this is the way we did it and the way you did it. Neither is right nor wrong, and we just have to kind of figure out what our systems are and then work to le learn to work together. So that's the first problem: two people, two different houses, putting them together, problems because you're different. Then, if one of those people is a man and one of those people is a woman, it makes it even more complicated because men and women work very differently. Men work properly and women don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
just don't work. It's so frustrating. It is so frustrating. You just, you just, you just never know where you stand. You never know what the mood's going to be like. They blow over from time to time, and you have no idea what you're going to wake up to the next morning. So, it's absolutely, it's just the most frustrating thing in the world. Now, you have no idea what the expectations on you, because it could be today you said something, and if you say the same thing tomorrow, you'll fire and brimstone. And it could be if you don't say the same thing the day after, you'll be in trouble. So it's very difficult when you've got men and women, because women understand women, apparently, so they say. Men understand men, but women don't intuitively understand men, and men certainly don't ever understand women. So it's, 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 it's a problem. So you've got the different families and the different genders, and now you're putting those, those together, so that's a problem. And you're saying, okay, guys, get along well together. What are the chances? <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> let's, let's be frank. The chances are pretty slim. Chances, sorry, I'm just giving you a chizok. I don't mean to throw you into the... What you basically come to the conclusion, Tali, is that you have a husband and wife getting married. They're coming from very different houses and therefore their social their socialization is different. So they've got completely different senses of right and wrong and what should be done, what shouldn't be done. And then one is a man and one is a woman. And we discussed, and actually I got the full consent of the group, that women are crazy and men are normal. And therefore it's very difficult. It's very it's, it's kind of <laughs> so, so it's a very difficult thing and you're putting those two people in the same place and you're saying, okay guys, get along. So the chances are extremely slim. <laughs> Let's face it. Um, so now, it makes it even more problematic when we introduce the following principle. That people aren't ready that quick to change. <laughs> so, so now you've got two people, very different, don't really understand one another, both think that they're right because that's the default setting, and now neither willing to change. So it's not a great recipe for harmony in the home. Harmony in the home, remember? Good. This has actually been brilliant for our marriage. It's amazing. Like, since I've started giving Sean advice this so we've never fought more. <laughs> There was actually this, this absurdity last night when we have an argument about what to say in the Shalom Baishir. <laughs> Fantastic. But anyway, so, so, so it's brought, brought to the fore that the issues are real. <laughs> Good. So now, how do we do this? So I think the first, the first step, the first step in this kind of resolving differences, and we'll get onto the socks, is something which is a Jewish thing. And that the Gemara says the following thing. The Gemara says, Laid us of lad twenty before. It says forty days before conception. It's a big discussion amongst the commentaries. What does it mean? Forty days before conception. What is there there to be discussed? But forty days before the conception. So there's a heavenly voice says, the daughter of Pliny to Pliny. In other words, that there's an element of divine decree involved in marriages. And without that piece of emuna, it actually becomes very difficult initially to get through the first stages of marriage. Because based on the fact that you're different, socialization different, men and women are different, so actually it's quite normal in the first stage of marriage to think this is a big mistake. 
and it's probably goes through the heads of many people that when they get married and they see as they get to know their husbands or as they get to know their wives they start to think to themselves gosh is, it what, is this what I was really looking for this isn't quite what I imagined when I met him that night and he looked so dark and handsome <laughs> and, and he was so nice then and his socks were on I didn't realize I didn't realize socks were removable that's the problem and then like Tully's thinking about ways of maybe doing some plastic surgery socks just sew them onto his feet and then when he goes into the shower they'll wash automatically so, so in other words in, in, in the first years of marriage and as you go along it's something to actually keep on going back to and as you go further on your marriage you'll see it's true that you are made for one another and if you got underneath the chuppah there's a 99.99% chance that you're meant to be again there are the rare 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 occasions where there's some type of divine decree that it shouldn't be that way but those are the rarities rarities the stipler said that the strongest assumption in the world is that the chasen and kala get to the chuppah only through divine decree and therefore they're meant to be together and the fact that there's an existence of, of, of divorce in the world he claimed that 90% of the time it wasn't justified there are situations where it's simply just either question and the marriage has to be ended but 90% of the time 99% of the time people are meant to be together and if they're not figuring it out it's because there's something going wrong in the way they're dealing with marriage what about that example that you brought last week about the couple who had a really good marriage and then they just separated because their goals were different? Right. Do you think that was 90% that they, they should have been? They should have stayed married, no question. Ah. They, were, they, they, they could have stayed together. because They worked. It worked. For 27 years, they were married. Just because you're meant to be together is no guarantee. In other words, you have to work on it. You have to work on it. But the, that's, that's the kind of the consolation. As strange as it may seem, and sometimes it is quite tough. Sometimes you think, really, is this is this what I, is this what I'm getting in for? And often, you know, there's different it's the horrors which creep in, and they say, you know, well, it's, is this really? Am I meant to be going through difficulty? But that's the nature of marriage. The nature of marriage is, and that's why it's so important that of the basis of what marriage is based on. Um, we didn't discuss this last week, but the truth is, it's a fundamental point. The Marriage is not based on people say, well, what's the fundamental, what's, what's, what's the foundation of marriage? What would you say? Foundation Love. of marriage? Love. Love. Next. Trust. Trust. Communication. Friendship. Friendship. Love, communication. Common goals. Common goals. Good. <laughs> Learn something. So the truth is, the, tr- the truth is that if you say it's based on love, this is actually a quote from Revolve. He, he has this, like, this, this, this small pamphlet which he wrote for, for grooms. And he says, tell me, young Bocha, what is the basis of marriage? So Bocha says, love! So he says, you know, it could be that there'll be times in your marriage when you don't love your wife. So the Bocha replies and he goes, chas v'shalem, chas v'shalem. He says, when I say love, I don't mean what they call on the street love. I mean the deep expression of connection. So he says, and there'll be times when you don't feel that. It could be that there are times when you're married where you hate each other. <laughs> so he says, if the basis of love, what's going to hold your marriage at that point in time? What's going to stop it dissolving? 
are. So he says, if you say it's communication, there'll be times in your marriage, some people, the majority of the time, <laughs> you have no idea what he's saying, and he has no idea what you're saying, so you can't base on communication. So love and communication aren't. What you need to see is that there's commitment. The commitment essentially is what we said to begin with, and that's the emuna. That's the loyalty that you know you're meant to be together, and therefore come what may. There's no communication, and there's no love, but you still go because you know that the only way a marriage will ultimately get there is by going through those dark periods. Nothing goes smoothly all the way along. So what uh, what keeps you going is the commitment and the knowledge that this is meant to be. Now the question is great, perfect, but you don't want to live through a marriage which is. Just, just based on emunah. You'd rather live on a marriage which is, you know, it's, it says that the emunah is always in the darkness. You'd like to have a little bit of light as well. So what's the fundamental thing which gets rid of the, the what, what helps to create that union? So now there's, there's a Rambam. And the Rambam goes through the different halachot of the husband to the wife and the wife to the husband. Um, but what's prevalent in both of them, the way that there has to be a relationship, the way there has to be a connection to one another, and I think this is possibly one of the most fundamental points of marriage, is... Don't laugh. See? Vow to silence. It's amazing. She didn't tell you that I made her make a vow. <laughs> um, one of the most fundamental points of marriage is what's called... No. Uh, one of the most fundamental points of marriage is something called kavod. What happened? So, so one of the most fundamental points of, of marriage is kavod. Kavod literally translated means respect or honor. Honor. In other words, honor is this huge thing, and essentially it's the, the primary thing in marriage, and I'll try and explain to you why. And there's two ways that people seek honor in this world, and the one is the, perhaps the distorted perception, and then I'd like to discuss the, the, the Torah perspective of what honor is. Generally, we think of honor in the following thing. I want honor, which means I want people to look up to me, I want respect, I want people to give me credit for who I am. Now, you could think as follows. You could think that the credit I want, the honor I want, it's like a, it's like a transaction. You're just going to honor. Okay? It's like it's at that point in time where you realize when I'm speaking too much of a monotone, and then I, when, I see, when I see like um, majority glazed eyes, so that's when I start to get a little bit concerned. Something I can have time for some light relief. So we'll discuss something like the the multi Python dead parrots parrot syndrome. Um, people think in the following way. Then I want to give honor to someone. So now where does where does the honor lie? I want to give someone respect. So it's almost as if the honor lies by the respecter, the honorer. I've got respect, and it's like I've got cash. So I say, okay, listen, I want to give you honor. So here you go. This honor is represented in. Try to make it more audiovisual. So this honor is represented in. Good always helps to shuffle money around. So this honor. Imagine, imagine this honor is represented in this hundred shekel note. And now what I want to do is I want to take the honor and I want to give it to you. So in other words, 
I've got, the, I've got the honor in my hand and now I want to give the honor to you. So in other words, the honor lies by me and if you, the one who wants to be honored, wants it, you have to come to me to get it. Following me? In other words, that's why people go searching for honor. Because they understand that unless he appreciates me or she appreciates me, there's no way I can get it. So I have to go look for people to appreciate me and that gives me the covet. You following me? And therefore, in other words, in that relationship, if I give someone else honor, it means I'm giving to them something for me and in that relationship, they're on top and I'm underneath. So I feel that by me giving them honor, I'm creating a relationship where they're on top of me. Hmm? No, not getting so clearly across. Gosh, let me try to think of another example. One second. So you've got this hundred shekel note, honor. <laughs> were they were they beholden to you? Um, let, let, let's say let's say. I think, in other words, our perception of honor is a little bit our misperception. The misperception is a little bit like flattery. Like you want to build someone up. So you say, you go up to them and say, oh, you're amazing, you're great, you're fantastic. And you think that what's happening is you're taking something, you're taking those expressions and you're giving it to them. So you're building them up. We look upon honor as building someone up. In other words, because of what I say, they'll be honored. Complete and total, complete opposite of the way the Torah sees it. The Torah sees that the honor doesn't lie in the person giving it, it lies in the person you're giving the honor to. So it works in the following way. Honor is the gematria of lay, heart. Heart is the essence of a person. Honor is when the essence of a person becomes so manifest that it actually bursts through and you can actually see something. So honor is when you see a unique quality by a person and you're so impressed by their by the quality. So when you see an impressive quality, you go, wow, that's amazing. When you say, wow, that's amazing, it's not because you wanted to give the person honor, it's your reaction to something awesome that you saw. So the honor begins with him or her, and you then receiving that. So say for example, and now you see a very interesting thing. This is what Rav Hutner says. He says that there's a verse in Mishlei which says the following thing. Kesef letzoreh. Kesef, silver, if you want to distill it and see what it is, you want to get rid of the dross, put it into, into a refinement into a refinery plant. The Zav Lakur. And if you want to purify gold, you have to put it into a furnace. The Ishlafi Mahalalo. And a man according to his praise. Normally you'd understand that to mean a man according to his praise means that what people praise the man to be, you know he is. Meaning if everyone says, Wow! What a Baal Chesed? He's a Baal Chesed. If everyone says, Wow! What a generous person? He's generous. The Rebbeinu says, That's not the Pshat. He says, a person, according to who he praises, is the deepest indication of who he is. Or she. Meaning, if you look at a person. Now, you'll never praise something that in your hierarchy of values doesn't appeal to you. If you don't think water skiing is a valuable pursuit, you are think, wow, that guy is an amazing water skier. Because it's not relevant. Because people have got multiple talents. Uh, I said to an example to a boy, you know, this is, this is a completely inappropriate example. But 
it just it has to be said to highlight the point. I was speaking to someone today and I was saying, you know, you, you, you are what you praise. You never praise something that's not a value to you. But he actually quite liked the water skiing example, but he didn't think it was a value. So I said, let me ask you a question. If you have a person that smokes marijuana and you say, wow, that guy can drag in an entire gulp of smoke with one big swallow. Would you say that's amazing? Said, no, that's pathetic. Because for sure, on your hierarchy of values, that doesn't mean anything. You following me? Yes, you get that. Or you think that's quite impressive. That could be problematic. <laughs> I was trying to play safe there, but everyone's going like... Then people come after us and say, who was that person? <laughs> so, so when you, in other words, when you, you, whenever you praise someone, it means that some part of you is connecting to a value. And obviously, the higher the value is on your scale of hierarchies, the more impressed you'll be. If you see someone that does something that's really close to your heart, you go, that's amazing. And that's why people praise different things. Someone will see a person that, that gives charity and they'll say, what a beautiful thing to do. And someone else will say, yeah, it's okay. Someone else will see a person that, that examples, examples, you're part of this chair, feel free to contribute. See a person that's brilliant with taking care of a child. You go, wow, that's amazing. You keep the child so calm. So you say, wow, that's, that's, that's impressive because that's something that you value. In other words, based on what you value, you praise. Now, when you praise something, you're actually establishing a relationship. And in that relationship, saying, when I see that person, I feel almost, um, I feel very small in comparison to that, to that, to that, to that, to that miler, to that, to that talent. Because that, that, that's, that's, that's the source of the praise. When you look, up at, you look up at them and you say, wow, that's so far above me. Now, you can see, especially when you, if there's an area of excellence that you engage in, and then you meet someone you think you're good at, and then you see someone who's so much better than you, so then your impression is like, oh, that's amazing. That's, but someone else who's not interested in that field, so they'll say, yeah, it's quite impressive, not a big deal. You're all following me, you get, you get the point. So in other words, that's because that, that's Ishla Fimalo. Who you are is expressed by what you get impressed by. In other words, who you are is what you honor. Now there's an interesting, there's an interesting corollary to this. Not only that, but when you honor a person, what actually happens is in order to honor a person, it's not that what we previously thought was when you want to honor a person, so you say, okay, I'll give you the honor. Or it's coming from you to them. What we're saying now is it's coming from them to you. You're receiving it. You're looking up at them and saying, what an amazing thing. And that's impressing you. Impressing you is literally what, what to impress means to take something and to push it down and then it makes a mark. So when you get impressed by something, it means it leaves an impression. It means it changes you. So when you honor a person, it actually makes you into, it gives you a, a connection to the thing you're honoring. You actually become a little bit like that. It's already there, but the more you get impressed by it, the closer you are to that value, to that whatever it is. Are you following me? So therefore, it makes sense of an interesting Mishnah in Perka Avot. The Mishnah says, Eizehu mechubad ha-mechabed et abriot. Who is honored? The one that honors the creations. And Rabbeinu Yunus says as follows, If you honor other people, so that means that you're constantly connecting, you're seeing inside someone else something which is, wow, that's amazing. Now what happens is you start to become the thing that you're seeing, the thing is amazing, because that's a distillation of who you are. 
when you pray something, it's who you are. The more people you honor, meaning in the areas of, of productivity and good things, the more people you honor, the better, the better off you are. The better off you are, the more you have those traits. So when you honor everyone, it means that you're such a broad person that you actually have all these minors that these people have. And then, as a result, you will become a chubad. They will honor you because they'll see in you what's in them. So automatically, they'll praise you. So if you really want to be honored by other people, you have to connect to this honoring them, and then you'll... So there's a story about two brothers. Two brothers. Twins. They grew up in the same, pl- in the same school, in the same town, with the same parents, in the same house. And what happens? One brother becomes a tzaddik gamel, and the other brother becomes a rasa. What happened? They had the same education. So, an interested party, Rob goes and he wants to interview both, both brothers. He goes up to the first brother, and he says, Tell me, he says, how come you're such a tzaddik? So he says, nah, I'm not really a tzaddik. He says, well, how come you, you feel as that? You certainly not like your brother. What happened? So he says, I'll tell you the truth. It's the city I grew up in. Well, tell me about the place you grew up. He said, you cannot believe the little shtetl I grew up in. The chazan, he governed beautifully. His voice was sweet. He gave all these feeling and sincerity into his thrillers. I was so, so overtaken by the thrillers, I couldn't not be moved. And the rov, the rov was such an expert. He knew shots backwards and forwards. He was amazing. And the rich people, they were so generous. And the shopkeeper was scrupulously honest. He says, how could I not come out like this? So then they go and they see the other brother. And they say, tell me, how, how is it that you, you, you came out? You know, like, what, tell me about your upbringing. And the brother says, the truth is, he says, I grew up in such a horrible place. I grew up in this horrible town. I think that's what knocked me. He says, well, tell me about your town. So he says, the chazan, the chazan, he was an absolute Amorite. He knew nothing. He just spent his time davening. And the Rav, the Rav, sure, he knew Shas, but he had no deep understanding. And the shopkeeper, ah, he was such a captain, he didn't know around the corners. Everything was this and this and this, so pedantic, it was horrible. And the rich people, they were just completely no savvy. They were giving their money away. So, the fascinating point is that the way you respond and the way you connect to the place around you actually makes you into who you are. And when you respond, and now you come into another chiddush. So now, you need kavod. That's, that's a fundamental point of a relationship. But the kavod is not so easy. Because to find the kavod, you need the iron Torah. Because without the iron Torah, there's always two ways of looking at something. And if you find the point of, of maila, so then you become bigger, and now what happens is, that's how you're going to connect. Because if you find the point of Maida, so then you see, wow, that's amazing, and then that becomes you, and then the two of you can connect. If you look at the negative side, so then it's called something called Leitzanut. Now, this is an interesting thing. Leitzanut, the Mitzvah Shashorim, lists it as one of the worst traits possible. Leitzanut means cynicism, or mockery, or making light of. Leitzanot does exactly the opposite to Kavod. Kavod sets aside the value and says, wow, that's amazing. Leitzanot makes a joke out of things. It's, ah, it's nothing. 
I don't even know, like there's some people who they can mock everything. And people who mock everything, you generally see they have a life which has got a very low, there are very few values in their life. Because values requires a certain amount of weight attached to a given, a given, um, a given value, a given, a given ideal. If you just make fun of things, so then nothing is value. There's this grand equalizer. Leitzanov is a grand equalizer which makes everything into just being trapped. Okay? Should we just stop now for some brief revitalization? Any questions so far? Giving those glazed eyes looking around. Can you, can you just give an example um, about the, the cover or the, uh, the dynamic of something? Good. In marriage. In marriage. So now you go and you, you look at your husband. Now your husband put his socks on the floor. It's like really upsetting. So, so he put his socks on the floor. So what do you, what do you, what do, you do with it? How do you deal with that? So you can focus on the, on the socks. But the, pr- the chances are he does other things. I can maybe, and other things are necessarily negative. Thank you. He does other things. It could be that the fact that he's he's in charge of the finances. So that shows a sense of responsibility. So you say, isn't that amazing? Like he's taking care of me. So I can relate to that sense of responsibility. That's something which is which is praiseworthy. That's something which has weight. That's amazing. So when you see that, so then you get to get a different impression. If you focus on that, you know, it was like this. You've got a freedom of choice. The choice of connecting in marriage, essentially, is a choice of what you focus on. If you focus on, if you focus on the negative, so you build up like the, the, the brother who became a Russia, you build up, uh, you, can, you, you, you can build up a description of your husband as a horrible louse. Or you can build up a description of your, tzaddik as, your husband as a tzaddik. In other words, everyone's got good and bad qualities. Now, what happens is, if you focus on, on the bad qualities, so there's an undermining of the relationship. Because what happens is, there's, instead of building one another, you break one another. And generally, these things are reciprocal. So if he feels that you're looking down at him, so then he'll look down at you. And when he looks down at you, so then you'll look down at him. And you'll, there'll be this pursuit of trying to find out each other. You'll try to look for the weak points. And what will happen is, in that weak point, you'll find, you'll see the late sun of creeping in. You'll even mock the good things that he does. You'll say, oh, yes, fine. So you went into the shopping. Well done. Do you know how many times I've done the shopping? Ridiculous, but the truth is, it makes you focus on what the other person's doing. Like, sure. You force the, it into focus, and you realize that. The, the, the way to get there is appreciation. Yeah. If you appreciate what the person is, not only what they do for you, but appreciate what the person is, so then you start to get a different overview. In other words, it, d- it depends. Question? Sorry? Yeah, I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Like, you can get annoyed with someone with their socks on the floor and still be very thankful because. Yes. Absolutely. The, p- the point is, what you're trying to do is, you're trying to. What we're trying to do is, you're trying to allow the sock issue not to be an issue, right? So how do you do that? So the question is, uh, hey. <laughs> so you, you're right. You put your socks in the in the basket. The practical approach, but it doesn't always work. So how do you do it? In other words, there's a lot of these little things. So in the course of time, lots of little things can actually undermine the dynamic of the relationship. And you don't want that to happen. So how do you stop the little things? In other words, I don't say that you shouldn't like from time to time kind of send a reminder and like, 
then what you want to write like two arrows along the floor to <laughs> that's great but how do you build up a general sense as opposed what you want to do is that the general sense of your relationship should be that you look up to your husband and that your husband looks up to you now the only way that's going to happen because people are faulted and people have got different dimensions to them is if you have an iron tober like you know the town could be looked at one of two ways so you look at your husband you can look at the fact that you know he comes in late and he says oh i'm so sorry i meant to find you but i didn't so you can look at this you never phone me you're always late you're inconsiderate so what you're doing is you're building up a picture of an inconsiderate husband and then you think and then what happens is once you've got that in your mind so then you find further proofs along the way ah oh, and you also did that ah oh, and you didn't do that ah oh. and then it kind of your life becomes you find proof 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 and then you come up and say okay well inconsiderate husband and then and then what can happen is like and i'm going to be at the bakers and i'm going to live with it and that's the worst thing <laughs> right that's the worst point in other words, you have to kind of you have to stop the process from occurring. So how do you stop the process from occurring? So when you stop the process from occurring, is that you you always got an option to see the good or the bad in things. I'm not saying that it's the easiest thing in the world to do, but you've always got an option. And the truth is, for sure, in the good things is something good to see. But even in the bad things, there's different ways of framing it. Not every new mother. <laughs> well, a, a brand new mother and it's her first child. Absolutely. Okay? Um, and let's say she, had, she underwent surgery. Right. And let's say the husband isn't helping the way he should. How, yes. do, you, how do you get your eye from that to counteract the feeling of okay. so you that, know, being sure. hurt and, and hormones raging, etc., etc., and physical pain? Right. So, so I'm, I'm bringing it right, 100%. So you have to understand that men's relationship to birth is very, very different to women's. Men's relationship to birth is you go, you stay at the hospital, and then you eat biscuits, and then you come out. It's not good. 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 It's not like your husband's driving perfectly normally, but you're stressed and you're tired out. So when he like takes the call and you say, Why are you driving so fast? <laughs> that kind of thing. Very no. theoretical. Very theoretical. <laughs> yeah. So okay, for the one thing. I don't think it's realistic what you're saying. Because no husband is terrible and no husband is entirely everyone's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So, and, and it's not realistic to have to respect somebody the whole time. If you can't have a relationship like that the whole time, sometimes a husband deserves to be shouted at. <laughs> 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 it's not realistic to always have an iron tongue. It's not realistic emotionally because nobody can always maintain that. And right. sometimes you want to scream at someone your husband deserves to be screamed at. And sometimes, and it's not, and it's not realistic. It's not realistic. It's not realistic. One second, one second, one second. One second. What did I do? <laughs> <laughs> it's like ni- it's a nightmare. Like I've got my. 
I've got, I've got my wife multiplied by 15. Sorry, sorry. One second. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Don't bring up on me. Slowly, slowly. Again, again, again. There's a problem. Woman, don't think. There's a problem. Listen. Listen to the voice of reason as follows. What we're discussing now is two separate points, and we should, we should differentiate between them. First point is problem. Over the course of time, when you're normal, and you're stable, and you're happy, and you've had enough sleep, Still, it's hard. You one, one second, one second. Wait, wait, wait. For that one week in the year, sorry, in the first six months of May, when you know about until the kids come. So you know that so you have to know how do you build a relationship. And even when you like slightly stressed and you have those moments, like you, you know, you, you scream at your husband, you, and then you have like those those brief seconds of regret. No, okay. <laughs> Point number one. Point number one is. It's important to have respect in a relationship. Now, what happens if you say, oh, but my husband's known that I can respect? Not true, you can find the to New point, new point. What happens when you have a legitimate need that your husband is oblivious to, right? Now, what I'm saying is that's probably going to happen because men are generally oblivious. They don't get things until they actually explain them and then you have to drive it into their heads because they still don't get it, right? They still don't get it. So, Study, 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 study. Study, so one second. So men don't get it automatically. Now, women think that's a problem. So, you know, they hold it against men that they're not women. It's like one of the, one of the grandest faults that a man can have is he's not a woman. So when, when, when men need to explain things, women already under, they already feel that, that they shouldn't be doing this. And they're doing it as a favor because it should be self-evident. So step number one is it's not self-evident. In other words, when a person, it's a very, a man has got absolutely zero connection to pregnancy and birth and hormonal changes. So he has no idea what it means. So that's where communication comes in. Communication, a vital thing. The Rambam, when he writes the halacha of how a man has to treat his wife, he says specifically, dibur benachat. Now, benachat, benachat, dibur benachat, the, the function we could use, Discuss this more the function of what's the, what's the time? How long have you got? You're lying. Okay, so there's, 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 there's a discussion exactly what Dibur is. Dibur is a fascinating thing. Speech. Speech is a fascinating thing. Speech is, is if you look at what the tongue is, the tongue is a very, a very strange, strange limb. It's the only limb, the only exter- the only physical body part that you use to um, create abstract concepts and then bring them into the world. In other words, even though you communicate through body language, but the pure abstraction of a thought, a concept, an idea, only comes around by the movement of your tongue. So what the tongue does is it takes a thought, which is in your mind, and it brings it out into the open. You following me? That's why the deeper is known as a connector, because the only reason you speak is that someone else can hear. So Dibur is the way that you take something inside and you bring it to the outside. Now, in um, a lot of the commentators, they, they say that the expression of Dibur, Dibur is known as um, the fruit of the lips. Now, the way fruit grows, is you plant a seed in the, in the ground, and then a tree blossoms, and then the tree produces fruit. 
So in order for there to be fruit, there has to be a seed, and the seed has to be planted, and there has to bear fruit. So the one function of speech is to bear fruit, meaning if I have an idea in my mind, let's say the idea in my mind is you have to give your husband more, more or some or honor, and you have to focus on their good points. And let's say that you take that on board, and the following week you actually find the whole new areas where you can say, wow, that's amazing what he does. So what's happened is there's been a seed which has brought, brought forth the fruit. You following me? Yes. That's the one function of Dibur. So the one function of Dibur is transmitting an idea and planting that idea in the other person and then they can bring out the fruit. There's another idea of Dibur. The other idea of Dibur is purely connection. The one idea of Dibur is to take an idea and transmit it. And the other idea of Dibur is that simply through discussion you feel bound to one another. You have to connect. By me expressing, well, I'm not the, the information that I'm giving, not that I'm telling you wisdom, but I'm just expressing myself. And when I myself comes out through my speech and you receive myself, so then we connect it. Because a part of me is coming to you. Yes? Okay. So now, that is one of the fundamental of marriage, is communication. Communication, meaning that you have to be able to, because your husband is not going to have any clue what you're going through. And the more explicit you can be, in describing exactly what you're going through in a way that he's able to grasp it the better off you are because then he sees your perspective and the truth is you know you speak I speak to Bochum and you have no idea how clueless men are before they get married you, 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 I mean maybe you but it's, okay. it's incredible well, I suppose because you learn along the way but they, you understand nothing you actually understand nothing and every single step has to be explained because it's a very very foreign experience so I think there's two points. First of all, the one discussion, how do you build up the right dynamic of a healthy relationship? You need COVID. That's vital. That's vital. A new point, what happens when you're going through something and COVID doesn't help because right now you have a need and your husband isn't seeing your need. So then you have to open up his eyes to the need. Now if you open up his eyes to the need in a way that, again, it doesn't have to be nagging doesn't have to be nagging. It's not, it's not two options. Either you say nothing or you nag. There's a middle ground that you say, listen, I just want you to know what I'm going through. This is what I feel like. And then you go into graphic detail about the fact that have you ever had a major mood swing in a day? So he says, no. So he says, this is what I feel like. You wake up in the morning and the fact that there are sheets on the bed and they aren't pristinely clean is incessantly annoying. And then you walk through the house and you see the things on the floor and it drives you crazy. And then a child cries and it makes you insane. It's almost as if everything is amplified a thousand times. So he says, really? So you go, yes. Yeah. So, That's horrible. How can I help you? Okay, you see now that, that, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> Really, 
ridiculous. I said, you know, when you come home and you just dump your containers in the sink, it's actually very disrespectful to me because in just total disregard for the fact that I've done the dishes, I've kept the kitchen clean, I make your lunch, put your little containers in the freezer, and I need to do the thing. Wash it for me, or just wash it. If I've done the dishes, please wash it. And it really, okay. it's a bit of an issue. It really, it's like a cleaning okay. up three so months. And so far, so good. Can you know, can you know. I think with physical things, with physical things, they don't get it. And sometimes things that they don't think they like is like um, someone to be believed under certain. No, I don't think so. I, I think it's different. Well, I like think. advice from a woman is not. I think physical. I think physical things they don't get. Like pregnancy, childbirth, <laughs> they just don't get it. It's I even it. even you were saying we're sharing on the, you know what we do in the day. I don't think they register. Obviously, if you're not at work. So you, no, no, but no, but also think also men's minds, no, men's minds also work in a much more in a much more generalized fashion. In other words, when when I don't know, but when Shoshana thinks about something, she thinks automatically about the details. Like if she has that someone's died, what Rachel says in my mind is someone's died. Full stop. When she sees someone die, she thinks, wow, they've got a mother, they've got children, and the children, who's going, to, who's going to make lunch for them in the morning? Who's going to do this? So then, when you think of all those little details, so then you get very moved. When I hear of a tragedy, a tragedy, stop. So a man's mind, when you see a woman at home, he doesn't think, woman at home, wake up in the morning, get the kids dressed, nurse, do this, do this, do this, do this. He thinks, woman at home, full stop. Does he think that it's work the same way? Does he go, his friends, or they're at work? No, they realize it. No, it doesn't. You don't even... No, 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 you don't, you don't, you don't process things in details. You process things as, as, as generalities. It's just the way the brain works. So men are wrong. Eh? They're wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> they should be able to think about... I'm saying, but it's not... A, it, it doesn't happen naturally. A woman naturally thinks about the details, and a man naturally thinks... My, my mother said to me, it was so frustrating first, she, she worked in urban design. And so the man would come with this grandiose scheme of how he's going to revitalize the city center, and then she said, what about that tree? And go, oh, the tree, didn't think about that. Men are, are very naturally not good at details. Okay, so, so no, it's... It's <laughs> Then, you know, it's, uh, no, but also no, there's, there's then, vision. There's vision. You have, you know, there's so men. We want to decorate our home, and this man is going to come onto my turn yeah. and say, "Okay, so the plan has to go there." And they'll be like, "Get out of here!" No, I take care of the details. It's my turn. So. Okay, so that, but but I think in a more in a more specific way, I think men and women balance each other in that way because the man can have a vision that I think a woman gets very much into the details, but sometimes she doesn't see the bigger picture. As clearly as a man, man naturally sees a bigger picture. He sees where things are going. And he sees the past, and he sees the future, and he sees the present, and he gets the context. And I think very often women get caught very much in the moment. So if it's, if it's horrible today, it was always horrible and always will be horrible. And then tomorrow when it's happy, it always was happy and always will be happy. And, but a man sees a continuum. And therefore that's a very, very good stabilizer if you're working together. But again, it comes with its cost. That you don't naturally have the same talents. Okay? So, what did we establish? We established that, established that, to, to sum up, so, I, think, I think there's two points. Where men and women are very different, and the difference is frustrating, it's frustrating, the way the differences can be alleviated are by two points. 
that if you do find ways of focusing with an iron tova on your husband and you create a respect and vice versa, that helps tremendously. And specific, explicit communication helps. And you know what you're saying? That I think it's, it's true of both husbands and wives that sometimes you hear things. The reason why you don't hear when your wife says it, it's not because you don't hear your wife. Is that in, in, in a relationship between husband and wife, there's a lot of stuff going on in the dynamic. And there's no, there, you know, so when your wife is saying it, so then you may feel threatened by it, you may feel a whole lot of different things. Whereas if someone objective says the same thing, so you've got none of that stuff going on, so you, you just have the vote. And often and often, because, because it's been told to you by your wife before, so it's like that's the seeding. And then he says it, and then what she said just clicks in. Because I find the same, same way with Shoshana, I'll tell her something and tell her something, I'm not saying that. I think she's, I think she's exceptionally special, so it must be by her, of course she can by everyone else. But I'll say something and then she and I spoke to my friend Esther and she said that, and I say, I've been telling you that for years. Because uh, I think that's the nature, you know, in other words, when you've got, it's hard to, hard to step out of a relationship and just, often there's other stuff going on, especially if you're tired, and especially if there's something else, and especially if you're a little bit, you know, not so happy with one another. Um, Okay, so uh, I, I think I think we did well. I think I think everyone else feels, uh, apart from me, I feel abused. But I'm sure you all feel that you feel. I think that's the purpose of this. I think it's important. To, uh, I feel that was a good vein for everyone. Good. If that will alleviate some of the stress, please, I'll be willing to do this on a regular basis. So I think that's. I think those, those are two things to, to, to focus on, and let's, let's give it a trial run. Focus on trying to find the points where you can look up and say, well, that's amazing, and then to be influenced by it. Try to be influenced by it, because that, to, to that pulls you together, and also to, to communicate explicitly and not to make assumptions. I think assumptions are a very dangerous thing, because often what happens is you make an assumption, you say, well, how can you not see this? And then you go to the next stage, and you say, he could, obviously he is seeing this, and he's deliberately ignoring it. And you actually, right? And you can't. Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Really, I'll tell you. Example. I'll take example. I give in the marriage book. I give the marriage book says like this. This is the classic example. That's like your sink example. The marriage book says to the man. It says to the man, you you're busy learning at night, and you put your books on the table. So your wife says, um, do you mind just putting your books away? So you explain to her, and you say, you say, I'm going to be taking them out tomorrow morning. Um, I don't. I don't need to put them away because I'm going to put them on the bookshelf and then we take them out. She says, please do you put your books away. <laughs> same book. I put it on the table. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to put the same book. She says, will you put it away? She says, so in other words, that's because there's a fundamental difference in the way, the way men and women approach order. Men approach order practically. In other words, I'm going to put this book in the bookshelf at this place so I know where it is. And now it doesn't need to be there because it has to be accessible. Women approach order from an emotional thing. When the house looks tidy, I feel good. And when it looks untidy, I don't feel good. Men don't understand that. What do you mean feel good? If it's in the place, why should I waste my time? Put it back, take it out, put it back, take it out. So there's a lot of those differences. So the minute you're aware of those differences, so it just gives you a little bit of space. It just gives a little bit of space between the two of you that you don't unite each other's throats for just being different, for being a woman. And next, next week we'll discuss the ultimate solution to everything. No, not really. Not really. Okay. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you very much.